think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. It is a This Month in Birding episode, so I will keep things short up here at the top. But I do want to say that if you are interested in picking up some bird t-shirts, and who among us doesn't have enough bird t-shirts, the ABA Bird of the Year Pileated Woodpecker shirts are available for pre-order on our website, The Art. The Art is by Rachel Riordan and Paul Riss of Punk Rock Big Gear. It is very cool. I don't know about you, but I don't have any shirts with a pileated woodpecker on it. So this is a fine addition to the ever-expanding drawer of birding-related t-shirts. The link is in the notes. So without any further ado, let's get to the meat of the episode. This month in birding for January 2021, a panel consisting of Danielle Bellany, Sam DeJarnay, and Sean Milnes. We talk Audubon, we talk Condors, we talk gear snobbery and Gucci birding couture. It is a grab bag. All that after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the third week of January 2021. It is rare thrush season in eastern Canada, and with the concentration of European turtids, there is reason to believe that birders in parts further south should be on the lookout as well. We will move west to east and start with a field fair in La Vie, Quebec, when this notoriously nomadic thrush of Northern Europe shows up in North America, it typically does so in Eastern Canada, and they are presumed to come from birds forced by cold weather across the Atlantic, though there is a small fluctuating population that breeds in Greenland. In any case, this is the precise time and the general place where we see them. And that wasn't all. Two individuals of the other species of nomadic boreal breeding European thrush, red wing, were found in both St. John's, Newfoundland and in Albert County, New Brunswick this week. Movements of this species fit well into the established winter thrush pattern. Uh, Howell and Russell of the book Rare Birds of North America suggest that these birds are coming straight over from the British Isles, maybe wind-assisted going straight over Iceland. But turtis thrushes are strong flyers, and these two species are certainly able to manage long flights. Those are the ABA area rarity highlights of the last week. As always, for a more complete look, please check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning. That's at aba.org slash rba. Or you can go to our Rare Bird Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. Or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. It is the last Thursday of the month, and that means it is time for this month in birding. For January 2021, I'm excited to welcome a panel that is as impressive as Lady Gaga's gigantic bird pen. First up, she (laughs) is a wildlife biologist and the cemetery birder. Welcome back, Danielle Bellany. Hello, Danielle. Hello. It's nice to be back. New to the panel, but not to birding podcast enthusiasts, she is the host of the Always Be Birding podcast. Hello, Sam Desjardins. Hi. I'm glad to be here. 
And another podcast crossover host, one of the hosts of the Foul Mounts podcast. Hello again, Sean Milnes. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, before we dive into this full slate of topics, I want to welcome you all to 2021. I hope it has been a slightly better year. And I do want to know, what was your first bird of the year? And do you think it will be a sign of things to come? I got to pull up my eBird checklist. <laughs> my first bird of the year. And if I I would like to also divulge into my first lifer of the year, if I'm able yeah, yeah. to. Um, so my first bird of the year was a black vulture. Um, I saw good. it in my couch. It was beautiful. Yeah, um, and nice. then my first lifer um, is a red-breasted nuthatch. And honestly, y'all, I'm, I've lifted the curse. I've finally been able to tell you that <laughs> little teeny yank yank, and I got it. Awesome. You got it in the bank. Yeah, I know last time you were on, we were talking about how you were looking for a uh, red-breasted nuthatch. So that must be a load off. Congratulations, 2021 Thank off you. to a good start. I feel like my first of the year was probably just a straight up crow. As soon as I walked yeah. out of the door, you know, which I'm never mad at because they are my favorite bird. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, mine was a crow as well, actually, which is <laughs> a not common for me. But there, there was like the as soon as the the sun came up, there was like eight crows in our backyard, and I remember they were the first thing I saw, and then a Carolina wren, which is unusual. Oh, so. Yeah, for me, it was also crow, so that makes three for four. <laughs> I, uh, I got up on the first, and I poured a cup of coffee, and I stepped out uh, in front of my house just to see what I could find, and uh, the first thing was a crow, American crow, and uh, I think it's like three of the last five years that my first bird of the year has been an American crow. That probably says more about my neighborhood than it does about anything <laughs> else, but those years were pretty good, and uh, they were not 2020, so I'm going uh-huh. I'm gonna to take that as a positive sign. Nice. My first lifer was a hoary red pole, so I'm feeling pretty good about that one. That is really nice. good. Yeah, I finally got on the Finch train as well with uh, Evening Grow Speak. There was a guy in, uh, not too far away, about an hour away, who has a bunch of them coming to his feeder. And instead of trying to find one for myself, I just decided, forget it. I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this guy's house and get, <laughs> get the monkey off my back. I feel like it's worth but, it. Yeah. Yeah, it was worth it. Was totally- my first lifer, which I was really, really excited about, was a surf scoater. Oh, know. that's good. Ooh. Yeah, I've never. Well, I would say maybe it's not actually a lifer because I have seen them before, but I thought it was a puffin when I was like first starting <laughs> and I was like really amped about trying to find tufted puffins. Um, but now I'm, I'm going to call it a lifer because I was like, that's a surf scoter. And I was super amped about it. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah. I nice. can't go wrong with a surf scoter. It, it is funny how sometimes you have to go back and think about those first birds that you, the first time you see a bird and like maybe you didn't appreciate it like you should have at the yeah. time. And yeah. then you, it, it's nice. It, it, if it's not like a real lifer, it, it's like a, I don't know, like a virtual lifer. Evening Grow Speak mm-hmm. was like that for me because the last time I saw it was like I was 15. Yeah. And it was a long, long time ago. And yeah. I hadn't seen one since. So getting to see it again was, was felt like a lifer experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have like a list of those birds that I wish I could see for the first time again. And surf scooter <laughs> is one of them. They're that like the first time you get a good look at that face. Just like, oh I gosh. Know. <laughs> They're really wild. <laughs> yeah, the 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 eye. I, mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. There's something about that eye. They've got that, mm-hmm. you know, crazy yellow eye. They look like they're gonna mm-hmm. mess you up. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump right into these topics? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. <laughs> National Audubon Society has been doing real well 
lately. Um, <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing great. Um, I So not my last episode on the Always Be Burning podcast, but the one before that, I brought up basically why isn't anyone talking about National Audubon Society is the name of the, the episode. And I didn't really realize that people would like, love the crap out of it like it's (laughs) people loved it and I did not know that because it really is just me sitting there like swearing a bunch and just like putting my 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 opinion out there um but apparently people like really related to it and really like I guess needed and wanted to hear it and so uh basically back in November National Audubon kind of got slammed by the online political website Politico there was a lot of internal and some I guess external interviews that the CEO of National Audubon, um, David Yarnold, basically was trying to threaten another employee at the time, um, Devin Trotter. He was threatening his job in order to kind of get information of this like play-wide survey about how National Audubon is faring in their DEI efforts, which came back not so great which isn't really, in my opinion, a big surprise. But the fact that David Yarnold was like trying to get names from these these mm-hmm. supposedly anonymous survey um, to, to do what? I don't know. Like, yeah. so intimidate those people. I don't know. It's terrifying. Like I said in the, in my, my episode, like the only information he should have been walking away with that is the results of it, <laughs> that people mm-hmm. aren't happy there, you know? And then to threaten a, a person of color, uh, point blank, blank period, but to threaten their job, you know what I mean? Like that's really, really messed up. And so when I read that article, I got, I got really, really mad. Mostly because it really echoes a personal experience of mine in another Portland Audubon chapter that I used to work at. Like, minus the threats and intimidation, just the whole article and how um, the affinity groups kind of relayed what the issues were is just the exact same. So the fact that, like, I'm all the way, you know, on the Pacific Northwest and they're all the way, you know, on the East Coast, but there's these same parallels happening within, Mm. you know, conservation, any kind of like wildlife organization is troubling. And that doesn't even stop there. This is stuff that happens in a lot of corporations, you know what I mean? Like nonprofits anywhere, really, like McDonald's probably. (laughs) Just this kind of inequity, you know, and just the treatment of people of color, the queer community. Um, and women as well. So it was really troubling to me. So I decided like I had come out in November, but then I didn't see anything Mm. about it. Like I didn't really see it circulate, like circulating in the birding community online or anybody kind of being upset about it the way that I was upset about it. So I was like, let me just like let a fire under this again. And it, it fared really well. I think people kind of maybe understood the deeply problematic issues with that. That whole thing, it felt like such a, I don't know, like a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, Audubon is this huge name mm-hmm. in the birding and environmental world. They have this influence. They have the network. They have the money, frankly, mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. pay people to do this work and to see this through and uh, see them fail pretty spectacularly. Was uh, I, like you said, I don't know how surprising it is because it's it's so yeah. pervasive in these big and small organizations as well in every organization. But man, it was yeah, it it didn't look good. It doesn't. And I, I, I'm, I'm wondering how they will move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, because 
they are one of the larger groups, you know, that does conservation work. And there's a lot of birders specifically and other conservation organizations that kind of look to them. And so they Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to be like, hey, we're going to do it and we're going to do it right and we're going to do it well. Um, We're going to take all of the information that is out there um, for how to do it well, all of the information that our, you know, affinity groups literally like wrote out for us of how they Mm -hmm. can do better and do it and apply it and then be that kind of example for these other smaller organizations out there who are probably also struggling because, you know, 2020 kind of blew the lid off of basically organizations and companies not doing, you know, racial equity work in their organizations. So I think there's a huge pressure for them to do it. But with that pressure comes kind of this false action or like kind of like fake action and it's Mm -hmm. not actually genuine. Um, And so I hope I, I'm curious to see how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why pay the people to do the work and then not let them do the work that they say needs to be done. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're they're telling you, this is what needs to be done. This is what you're paying us to do. They were pretty vocal too, about a lot of other issues that were coming Mm up, you know, bird names for birds, all sorts of stuff. They were super vocal, super present in all of that. And then this happened like right on the tail of that. I like at what point does the conversation turns to turn towards like, should David Yarnold be the man Mm -hmm. in charge anymore? Like, should he not just sort of, has he not done his job for the organization? Should he not step down in light of this? Like, should he not have that conversation? You know, and I haven't, it's not really been said too often. And it does seem like <laughs> if he's going to make this sort of very glaring mistake <laughs> on the heels of some really important stuff, when is that going to, when are they going to look at him and maybe scratch yeah. their heads a little bit? So I, I think if we like turn into, I guess there's circles of who it is that is patting them on the back. I think it's a bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, straight cis white mm-hmm. men that are, mm-hmm. you know, am- uplifting mm-hmm. him. Because they think he's doing the right thing and he's taking those compliments and just, you know, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. My colleagues say I'm doing great. And then just running with that impression and not listening to the actual people that are being infected. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's an endemic issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, too, like there's obviously going to be groups and people within that organization that want to and are doing, quote unquote, the work. Um, mm-hmm. And so when things come out like wanting to support birdability and like black birders week and all of that stuff. I'm sure it's from those groups. Right. And so uh, what, what he's doing is totally just undermining that um, by Mm -hmm. making these horrible Mm -hmm. decisions or lack thereof decisions. (laughs) Um, And it's, it doesn't reflect, ultimately it doesn't reflect positively on the organization as a whole because he's the leader. um, And so anything that they put out there is going to be questioned now at this point, you know, there was a lot of, of putting out there of, of opinions about the, the storming of the Capitol. They posted twice about it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I don't believe you. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that you actually care. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's the effect of this is that people, and they should, uh, that's, that was the whole point of me wanting to bring it back up is like, we're not trying to cancel, you know, National Audubon, but we are trying to question and and really like critique what it is that they're doing because they have so much. And so if they're Mm going to be wanting to do all of this work and this change, like they need to do it and they need to be held accountable for it. And David Arnold is the top one. And he, if he needs to go, then like, 
there has to be some pressure put on that because he's not just going to yeah. say, oh, I think I should quit. You know what I mean? Like, he's mm-hmm. not going to do that. Good gig. <laughs> you know, so exactly. <laughs> yeah. No place for an armchair ally right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. All day I've been sort of like going over these articles over and over again about the uh, Yurok tribe reintroducing condors, like playing their part in the reintroduction of California condors into that sort of like Northern California, Pacific Northwest region of the country. And it's the articles, you know, Audubon wrote an article um, and there's some really great content on the Yurok tribe's own website going over sort of the relationship that they have with the bird and how it sort of coincides with this sort of uh, revitalization, I guess, of of Yurok culture and maybe just pushing aside the colonialism that has held held them back for so long um and it's all kind of coming all at the right time all together it's really interesting um they're playing a really big role they set up a center they've got biologists working with them some really amazing people some great names were mentioned in here um i'm not going to go into that too deeply because i think really the importance should be played on the fact that we're looking at like two really important things right like reintroduction protection trying to really deeply take care of these species that we killed off with stupid stupid (laughs) chemicals uh and also colonialism what better time than now to to just to you know to 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 try and i mean maybe make up for (laughs) a lot of a lot of horrible horrible things so you know they have a really close connection with condors down to like passing down feathers for uh cultural traditions like from generation to generation, you know, they have to be found. And if there are no condors to cast, to shed feathers, how are they going to keep up with these traditions? The article's really interesting. I'd actually much rather hear what you guys have to say than blabber on about it myself, because I will just keep repeating myself. Sam, this is up in your uh, Mm -hmm. part of the country. Are you excited about the possibility of seeing California condors go out birding regularly? So excited. I think, um, so I actually had the opportunity to go to the Oregon Zoo's California condor breeding facility, um, which was so amazing. I mean, so I don't know if anyone understands like actually how large these animals are. (laughs) Like they gave, they gave me a a primary wing feather and I was like, this is as big as my torso. Like it's a huge, like they're huge. They're huge. Their babies are giant. Like, you know, and (laughs) it was one of like the best experiences ever. And they are not like they are not joking. So we had to literally turn our phones off off, and then we had to not speak at all. Like they took us through the area, but uh, the mirrors were uh, like one way. So they couldn't mm-hmm. see us, but any noise, anything like it, it has the opportunity to affect these birds that get released back out, out into the wild. Like we do not want them at all to be interested in, curious about, or unafraid of humans. That that includes like the babies that are going to be released and then the, the breeding adults that kind of live there. Because if they uh, get used to humans, then that affects mm-hmm. how they raise their babies. So hmm. um, uh, it's really, really interesting. And I'm super amped about it because because of where I live, like it's such a huge conversation all the time about you know, what happened and then the, the release process. And then I personally am like amped to have found out that this effort is being spearheaded mostly 
by the Yoroka people because it is such a the California condor being one of those those animals that is super spiritual to them. Um, mm-hmm. And our government banning Native American ceremonies forever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the use of feathers and they're the California condor feathers in, in ceremonies for them. And um, just the fact that we're going to take this and charge into it because it's for us and it's not necessarily for a like the birders in the world, you know what I mean? It's it's not for that. It's for it's for them first and foremost. And so we I'm, just get to benefit from it. Exactly, which I'm excited <laughs> for. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just have to be grateful and respectful. And mm-hmm. you get to see those amazing huge things fly overhead. I mean, Damn. we're never gonna get that on the East Coast. So I know. <laughs> I know. I'm supremely jealous. I've never seen one. I'm I'm very jealous. Um oh, there, can't wait to yeah. see one. This the size. I mean that something like that can fly so effortlessly. Right. So effortlessly. And um, I mean, you understand why it is such an important bird for the Yurok. Like, mm-hmm. how could it not be? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if anyone, I, not that I can guarantee like a tour of the Oregon Zoo's <laughs> breeding facility, but I do know people there. So if you guys, whenever COVID is done, anyone wants to maybe go see some baby condors at night. I Ooh. might could hook that up. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't promise that I wouldn't just start weeping in their presence. I know. Too loud. It's wild. And just like, just a fun, really gross fact that they, they put, they work with um, like farmers in, in the area. And uh, when they feed them any like animals that have naturally died on the farms around, mm-hmm. they like leave the carcasses in there. And like forever, and it's, or at least like I think they clean it up like maybe one once a year or something like that again to limit contact. But it was so gross; <laughs> it was smelled <laughs> so bad, um, and just like some gnarly, like gnarly, like uh, images looking at that. Like this, they take down some big animals, though. So. I'm imagining cool. the scene from like Jurassic Park where they lower the cow into the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> now that we have Trump out of office, um. Before he left, um, he went ahead and did some last-minute pardons. And honestly, the pardon that I'll discuss, obviously, it revolves around birds. So he decided to give James E. Johnson Jr. um, a pardon on his charges, quote-unquote, charges related to migratory birds. As I was reading, like, okay, that's really vague. What is charges (laughs) related to migratory birds? I mean hey, where do you start with that? So it turns out um, while he was hunting, he had an area baited with, throughout the year of 2006 through 2007, he had the area baited with about 20 tons of corn, which first off, how do you even get that much corn (laughs) and why to bait an area? Um, 20 tons of corn um, to bait an area. And he ended up killing uh, Scott that were, um, I guess, eating the corn, which is illegal. You you cannot bait ducks Mm -hmm. to shoot. Um, and you especially can't do that where they were hunting in um, North Carolina. So President Trump went ahead and pardoned um, James E. Johnson. And I, I tried to do a little bit more digging on, you know, like, why him? Why now? Because a, yeah. a pardon doesn't necessarily mean innocence. Um, the pardon is there to, you know, exempt a person from their punishment. And in 2008, James E. Johnson was charged 
and his um, punishment was a year of not being able to hunt and uh, of seventy five hundred dollars. So I mean, it's that was back in two thousand eight, and yes, here we not, are not in twenty twenty. <laughs> it wasn't really that much of a yeah. fine, um, and it really wasn't that long of a you know punishment to not be able to hunt. So here right. we are, almost a decade plus later. Um, and President Trump is giving him a pardon. I'm just scratching my head. It raises a lot of questions as far as like, why? Why him? Why now? They cited that his um, his involvement in wildlife and was a, a good reason to have him pardoned for his crime. But I mean, what has he done for wildlife? What has he done for birds? I, I did some Googling on this guy and I couldn't really find too much information about him. He might be a lawyer. But I mean, there's definitely nothing that I've been able to see <laughs> about what he's done for wildlife. Aside from like purchasing a hunting license, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which like a certain percentage of it goes to conservation. But that's like it. I guess if you were being really particular, you could say that that was it. But like you, I found this very odd. I'm, I'm just trying to understand the corn part of it. Like, <laughs> I've never seen a scob eat corn. I've never frankly. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> like... So many questions. Why why corn? How does one year I mean the seventy five hundred dollar fine is just like what, one ton of corn? Like and he had a whole <laughs> year to recoup the losses. Corn, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> yeah. It is weird. Usually when you see like the Migratory Bird Treaty Act cited in some sort of court case, it's like a big corporation that is yeah. like like BP of the mm-hmm. Deepwater Horizon or, or whatever. Like this like a single guy getting probation, <laughs> not even jail, just probation. And a fine. I mean, that seems like justice was served. I don't understand why he needed, even needed a pardon, let alone like what it what it meant. It was, it was just weird. It was right. weird. Are there like deeper implications here? Like, it's I don't be right. We put on our tinfoil hats because five people pleaded in that case. So if just him, if he if he was the only person who was offered this pardon, like, it's just again, it's why why him? <laughs> There's there's a tie there, I'm sure. It's yeah. just I, I'm scared to find out what it is and where this rabbit hole leads. Yeah. I I feel like And the corn. Maybe it's just like they're like semi friends, you know? That's gotta and be he it. was like, yo, yeah. Trump, help me out, man. And he was like, Cool, got you. And can that's you, it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, can you get this off my record? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've seen how I guess the Trump family, especially his son, how they have interacted mm-hmm. with wildlife, mm-hmm. um, especially mm-hmm. with game hunting. Um, and it's just yeah, I, I can see why they wouldn't be on the same side as us. Um, I feel like they've done some things that are, are just not not good, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's over here with like string and pictures on the wall trying to piece together all the <laughs> all the implications. <laughs> Where the rabbit holes That's are. Right. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Uh I was, you know, scrolling around uh on the internet as as one does uh the other day, and I noticed a tweet from uh, uh Kevin R. Bergio uh at KR Bergio who tweeted Often when I ask a birder who is wearing a pair of two thousand dollar binoculars if they've had any luck. I feel I have to say, hey, my eyes are up here as they automatically look down at my binoculars to evaluate if I'm worth talking to. And I'll be, I'll be honest when I say that my first response to this was defensive. Like, hey, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. But then I talked to some of my friends and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, this has happened to me. Maybe I am just like clueless enough that I've, I've never noticed it. So um, yeah, I think gear, snobbery, gear, anything in a hobby like birding where, you know, gear plays a role 
is, uh, I don't know, you kind of create this sort of hierarchy and it's, um, you know, it's, it's certainly gatekeepy and it's certainly not what we want in birding. We want everyone to feel as though they are uh, welcome to participate in birding to the fullest extent that you can. But uh, I thought that was interesting. I know you guys have opinions. Please share. I, I think there's definitely, you know, something going on here. Uh, I will say one more thing before I throw it to y'all. I, I was talking about this internally with some ABA colleagues, and Ted Floyd pointed out an essay by Pete Dunn that was written like 25 years ago that was essentially about the same thing. <laughs> so um, the more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. As a firm believer that you don't need equipment to go birding. Yeah, mm-hmm. the gear snobbery definitely, it raises a barrier for so many people <laughs> to be able to enjoy this hobby that's really, it's really not that serious. You can just do it casually. You don't have to have mm-hmm. fancy binoculars or scopes or um, really anything. Um, your, your binoculars aren't that special just because you have <laughs> yeah. a, a couple thousand yeah. dollars on your neck. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that you're a better, I don't know, whatever you would want to call yourself because you're out here on the trail. It's the same trail, same birds. Yep. We see them. Yep or interact with them yeah. in similar ways. I've, I, you make a good point. Like I've seen too many uh, skilled birders with modest binoculars and um, wearing expensive binoculars doesn't necessarily correlate to birding skill. Yeah. I think we've all, we've all that seen that. That is sure the truth. My binoculars were $130 and that was a lot of money for me to spend on binoculars. And I, you know, I live in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Everybody, we all know how people think of Connecticut. It's a wealthy place. I get, I see, you know, at the patch, if I'm at a patch or like say at a rare bird chase, I am absolutely the one there with the cheapest binoculars and I don't have a camera and I definitely don't have a spotting (laughs) scope because I don't have the money to spend on them. And I get a lot of weird looks and sometimes it's a bird that I found and I get like looked down on just because of my binoculars, which is ridiculous. And it, it lights a fire kind of under me because at that point I'm just like, well, mm. guess what? I saw more species in this county than you've seen in your life in this year alone. Like, I have to then start flexing, which then I feel like just a giant, <laughs> you know, piece of, of trash <laughs> at that point again. So, like, I feel like this whole thing with like, it's not just about gatekeeping in the end. There's like a little bit of like bullying that goes on. There's so much that goes into that that just comes back to like that initial first snap judgment that people make because they see you've got like Bushnells around your neck or like I have Nikon, some cheap Nikons that are on my second pair because I ran my first pair over. Like I had, I still couldn't afford to upgrade. Like you just, why is how much you can spend on binoculars like dictating how involved you can be in the community or in an in an activity you know it doesn't make sense mm. here's the thing it, it's also one of those things where like you don't you don't even need binoculars i know and have met a wonderful human being who is blind and is one of the mm-hmm. best birders by ear i think in the country like i i'm he used to volunteer at my old place that I worked um and he is amazing and has does, done amazing things so you don't even it does this thing too where it, it kind of centers uh ability as well um and so it, it's like mm-hmm. okay cool you have these expensive binoculars or even just like down to like what you're wearing out there too and like where you're going I'm with Danielle I'm like a, fir- a really firm believer that it doesn't you don't you don't need gear at all um it definitely helps the experience but it doesn't 
make your experience. Um, yeah. It doesn't really, it doesn't necessarily change it, right? And so. Um, it can make you better. <laughs> yeah, it can. But then, but like, you can also bird by ear, you know what I mean? So it does, it, it's kind of like, what are you trying to be better at? And, and right. is it necessarily uh, worth putting down other people to get better at it? You know, it's weird. Yeah. And, and some of it is, yeah, I don't know. I, I noticed that it's, it happens too when people compare their lists or whatever. It's for the same, mm-hmm. it's the same sort of mentality. Like it's almost like mm-hmm. there's a competition aspect of it that, you know, some people enjoy and, you know, whatever, more power to you if that's the sort of way you enjoy birding. But a lot of people don't enjoy birding that way. And that's fine, too. It's 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 sort of coming to the point where you sort of meet people where they are instead of where you want them to be or where you mm-hmm. want to be in comparison with them. That's sort of a thing that's not necessarily entirely a birding thing. It feels like that's a thing with a lot of gear or skill oriented hobbies. Like I used to be in um, I used to be in cycling. I used to race bikes and Boy, it's it's just as bad there too. It's the same sort of oh my thing. God. Uh, you know, yeah. Sean, because that that was your, I know way too yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's a similar sort of aspect, and I think you know we're all better if we just sort of take a step back and, and chill out on all that stuff. Bird how you want to bird. <laughs> it goes back. I mean, like equipment certainly can aid you in a lot of ways, but there's there's so many other amazing ways to just enjoy what you're doing, mm-hmm. and there's no reason to add that sort of like humiliation into it to you know you're bringing the worst out in people one way or the other it's just a bunch of people standing around staring at a tiny little animal <laughs> like in the end who cares what you've got like how cool is that bird that just came down from manitoba to you know west virginia or something like that like it just like why, how have we lost sight so much that we're just like flexing with our freaking binoculars like come on it's just birds y'all like you know it's just birds birds. (laughs) calm down you know (laughs) i'll do the question of the month and it's related to the the birding with gucci item that we're gonna do um this it's inspired by this collaboration that we sent that has been kind of kicking around social media with North Face, Gucci, and an organization in the UK called Flock Together, which describes itself as a, a bird watching support club, challenging the underrepresentation of black, brown, and people of color in birding. So what we get from this is this photo shoot where the message is that the nature community needs more creativity and self-expression. I think we all sort of agree with that. And the need to break down stereotypes of what outdoor recreation looks like and who it's for as sort of a what we've been talking about just in a bit. And, and fashion is certainly a way to do that. So I have two questions uh, related to this birding with Gucci and North Face uh, item. One, what do you think of this? And two, what is your birding look? I, I love the way that it looks. Um, I did not look at the prices, though. Yeah. I feel like this is <laughs> and Jack into the gear snobbery. I couldn't find it. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool, Gucci. Thanks for... Make me trying to make birding more inclusive, but <laughs> like you're, you're Gucci. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to look at the price. Still Gucci, I know I still can North afford Face, it. Yeah. Right. And yeah, also right. North Face. Like I literally don't own North Face clothes that I have not thrifted because again, yeah. it's just another yeah. price barrier. So it, it's, it's, a, I love the sentiment. It looks like a great message and I really enjoy what Flock Together has put together. It's really, it's really amazing campaign and the go- go- photos are gorgeous. The clothes look beautiful. Um, I would 
covet a pair if, of anything if I got it. What about your own birding look, Danielle? Oh, wow. I dress goofy. Um, <laughs> I'm a socks and sandals person I, with no shame. I, you know, honestly, most of my time is spent birding in Texas. So as cool as I can get is like shorts, yeah. socks, sandals, t-shirt, um, and a hat or a visor. And I mean, I think the visor is probably like my most crucial thing, but birding clothes again, I've seen people that are like in full camo gear and it's just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. cool. Here I am in like six different colors. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, a messy yeah. bun and it's just like i mean i'm 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 having a great time i'm having a blast mm-hmm. and i just feel like that's a statement that you can do this too like no matter what you want to wear yeah. i mean it's have fun with it like just express yourself as what, whatever you want i feel like for me for when i so i didn't know anything about this until it was brought up with you with you all um and i immediately was like Gear snobbery again, like, and I couldn't <laughs> find the pricing for this. I didn't try that hard because I was like, I just know it's going to be way too much money. And the other thing too that I noticed, like, yes, these photos are beautiful. They have some cool owls. Um, I'm here for the people of color, but again, it's Gucci, and everyone is very thin, and it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it does this thing where it's like, okay, we're going to talk about how everyone can be outside, but not everyone can be outside. Um, and so it's, it's, it's as a larger bodied brown woman, I still don't feel included in this ad. Um, also like I'm poor, I'm super poor all the time. And so I really don't feel included in this ad. Um, and so it's, it's, again, I like the sentiment, like Danielle said, but it's not actually doing all of the work, right. That it could be, but it's certainly a good step in terms of uh, representing POC, especially black people outside. Um, yeah. beautiful gowns gorgeous gowns cute I'm here for it yeah I like your skirt but you know um, but I think like my style of birding like when I look I, if I'm gonna go birding it's probably gonna be at like 8am and I'm not awake um, I told you all like I woke up 30 minutes before this interview um, and so I'm not a- right you're on the west coast so it's it, is, it is you guys have been up for a little bit longer than me but I I am not a morning person and so I struggle like getting up and so it's really like what is next to me that I can just throw on and go otherwise I'm gonna be late and I'm gonna miss all the birds that I want to see so I don't have a style but I'm I'm I also am here for if you want to like throw on some like couture gown that you found at the thrift store <laughs> with some binoculars and go look at like do it you know who cares it's just birds again like who cares you know exactly yep i'm looking forward to this new movement of just anti-gear snobbery um let's yeah. just go out in you know our gowns and <laughs> in our busted <laughs> up holy clothing i mean why not why <laughs> not for yeah. a great photo shoot okay great <laughs> For me, the campaign was like, again, it's cool to see a new level of like artistry going into things. It certainly seems like it would like hold some folks back if, you know, suddenly your gear not only has to be camouflage, but has to have like that logo on it, you know, to make you stand out. And and so I'm not sure how I feel about that side of things. Um, You know, I just got uh, new binocular straps from the NOAA. Um, ex feminist bird club mm-hmm. drop. I felt yeah. pretty good about that. That was like, you know, that was an expensive item for me to purchase. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a binocular strap, mm-hmm. but that one goes to like a good cause. It's saving, it's mm-hmm. raising money. And I'm here for that kind of thing, honestly. If like, you know, Gucci and North Face aside, like, cool, do some good stuff. But if there are other like streetwear brands that are a little cooler, 
for me that are a little more, maybe more accessible that want to get involved and like throw some money at real uh, causes within the birding world, then I'll spend my money on that. You can't, you're not going to catch me in a North Face jacket just because it makes me look like a more, a <laughs> uh, more like involved birder. That's for sure. Like a Gucci um, model. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't touched my beard Hold yourself since back, October. Sean. Like it's disgusting. I look haggard <laughs> right now. You know, And the only reason I did that was for a wedding, my own wedding. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done anything, you know? So I'm, my own personal style sort of reflects exactly that. I grew up at skate parks. I'm not changing out of my vans and my jeans <laughs> and like my it's like skate t-shirt or BMX t-shirt or something like that. I have a hoodie on, like a jacket from Vans, like uh, like a hat, and I have tattoos all over me. Mm-hmm. I get real weird looks, and I just I'm finding that the more people walk away from me when I show up to a to a to a bird, the better I'm starting to feel about myself because exactly. I'm really like I'm still holding true to those punk rock ethics I grew up with. So <laughs> I like don't know how I feel about uh being part of the crowd in, in that uh in that way. But like I said, these if you know if more companies want to jump in and start throwing real money at, at good organizations, then I'll start buying stuff. I'll spend a little bit of money even if I can't afford it if it means that it's going to go to helping somebody, you know. So that's what we need to see more yep. of. Yeah, I don't really have anything more to say that hasn't been said uh by you guys uh here, but um I thought the collaboration was interesting from an artistic perspective. I I do like the showing, you know, a different mm-hmm. kind of birder uh that that we don't always see when we see pictures of birders which tend to be you know, people in head to toe khaki, uh, zip off <laughs> pants and all that stuff. And I'm not going to say that as someone like, like I, I have a pair of zip off pants. Like there are times and places <laughs> where zip off pants are actually really nice. <laughs> Most of the time when I'm going out, just walking around for a couple hours is not that time. So, um, yeah, like, like you say, Sean, like the, the jeans and the, the hoodie sweatshirt and a cap is about as far as I will go. Um, I do have a, a pretty good pair of hiking shoes that i put on just to keep my feet dry because wet feet suck so um yeah that's that's about it that, that's a, if you see me out that that's probably what i'm wearing except in the summer and i just want to switch the jeans for shorts but um i'm 100 in favor of like people dressing how they want to dress when they go out birding as we have said many times here like it's just birding mm-hmm. you know we're just we're just we're just going outside however you feel comfortable doing the thing that you like to do that's the important takeaway from all of that agreed but if gucci needs a model yeah <laughs> gucci <laughs> i will say if north face wants to throw me that backpack real quick i, would I know really some of the stuff I'm to take feeling. a gift yeah, <laughs> some of that's uh-huh. really good that even the gucci jacket's actually like pretty sweet i like that little color good that's how they get you though so like i know look at how cool this is dudes you know like I'm not about that hat, that bucket hat, though. With the sh- I don't know. Okay. Anyway. That's too close to traditional birding <laughs> hats. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not helping our, 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 our image here with bucket hats. <laughs> Even Gucci bucket with, hats. With, like, the long straps that you're, what, supposed to tie in a bow under your chin? Like, I don't... The- exactly. For the win. <laughs> well, they did stick to birders don't wear white, and I got to give it to them there. They did. They yeah. they stuck to one tradition. Not a lot of khaki, but they got no white in there. That's good. 
still though. I need that backpack. They have these very hunky shoes also at the bottom. And it's just like, I imagine myself on these trails with, I, they look like they weigh at least 10 pounds. So, so heavy, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? And you're just making all this sound, scaring all birds away. And I don't know. <laughs> you can't tiptoe in Doc Martens. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I want to thank Sam, Danielle, and Sean for joining me for this month in birding. I hope that your 2021, the rest of your 2021 is as, uh, I don't know, as good as first month has been. Um, thank you so much. You can find all their stuff. I'll have links to all their stuff in the show notes. Please check all out. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you like what we do, please consider joining the ABA. We have magazines about birds, discounts to our partners, and the knowledge that you are helping to build a better birding community. You can get information about all our memberships, including e-memberships at aba.org slash join. I do want to make some shout outs today to Wendy Hart and the Hart family of Austin, Texas, Karen Brereton of London, Utah, Kathy Bangert of Easton, Maryland, Joe Moore of Clementon, New Jersey, Farley Cross and family of Sacramento, California, Gavin Lebowski and the Lebowski family of Chalfont, Pennsylvania, Neil Vandsberg of Vancouver, British Columbia, Nathan Bond of Denver, Colorado, Carl Bromwich of Ayers Cliff, Quebec, Scott Erickson and the Erickson family of Hyde Park, Utah, Christopher Coxon and the Coxon household of Fort St. John, British Columbia, Michael Lane Lambert and the Lamberts of Nashville, Tennessee, Matthew Murray of Victoria, British Columbia, Joshua Sneed of Fargo, Georgia, and David Lagrange and family of Deltona, Florida, all of whom recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. I love these lists keep staying long. It's fantastic. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who, inspired by the broad range of birding podcasts these days, is looking for one where a group of maybe goth birders kind of sit around and discuss the birding news of the day. Maybe call it Brood Patch. Technical productions by John Lowry, who's looking for a birding podcast, very specific, about single dads teaching their kids how to bird. Maybe you can call it Primary Flight Fathers. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who are still bewildered as to why there hasn't yet been a podcast about burning spies called Secondary Coverts. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, on Instagram at American Birding Association, and on Twitter at ABA. Believe me when I say that I'm actually pretty serious about a birding beer podcast or a bird beer podcast, or even a bird beer segment of this podcast uh, called Wing Bars. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swig. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.